You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Beast. Hey, look out the window. Welcome to my party, guys. Thank you so much for having us. This is my chance to reconnect with the girls. I can see all Did mom shoot some of these? This little bump right here? That's you. I still miss her every day. There's something crossing up ahead. Keep the girls in the car. Stay in the car, okay? Just stay in the car. But I... Diabolo. Okay, what's he saying? Diabolo means devil. I've never seen anything like this. Multiple attacks without eating his prey. Lions don't do that. At least no lion I've ever seen. Go back to the calls. Dad, Dad, please! for Beast, and the story is as follows. Recently, widowed Dr. Nate Daniels and his two teenage daughters travel to South Africa, a game reserve managed by Martin Battles, an old family friend and wildlife biologist. However, what begins as a journey of healing soon turns into a fearsome fight for survival when a lion, a survivor of bloodthirsty poachers, begins stalking them. The film is starring Idris Elba, Iana Haley, Leah Sava Jeffries, and Charlto Copley. It is directed by Balthazar Kormakor and written by Ryan Engel. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Josh Parham. Hello, hello. So we're talking about Beast, not the Jesse Buckley Beast. Unfortunately, no. (laughs) No, this is the one where Idris Elba punches a lion in the face. And that's what this movie will forever be remembered as. <laughs> yes, that will be its lasting legacy for sure. I mean, with such an easy title, I always feel like whenever this movie gets brought up in conversation, people will say just that. They'll be like, oh, that one where Idris Elba punches the line in the face. <laughs> yep, yep, pretty much. Sums it up perfectly. That is like the subtitle for this movie, ultimately. <laughs> uh, but hey, you know, we're joking about it, but it's what got me to see the movie. I saw the trailer for this and I was like, I, I want to see Idris Elba fight a lion. Yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio fought a bear. Idris Elba's going to fight a lion. Mm-hmm. We're going to turn that into a whole movie. 93 minutes long. Oh, thank God. <laughs> I know. I was actually really happy about that. You know, this movie knew how to get in and get out. Uh, but the director behind this movie here, uh, Balthazar, you know, he has done a few thrillers that I've actually found to be pretty underrated in general um, that were 
know, decent. Like Everest, I really enjoyed that. Um, I really also enjoyed Adrift a few years ago. Uh, that was the one with, um, uh, what's her name, from Big Little Lies, uh, Shailene Woodley. Yeah, and Sam Kaplan, I think. Yeah, that actor yeah. who I don't like. Um, <laughs> he's okay. Anyway, uh, but this one here, I mean, this is clearly one of those man versus beast, no pun intended, just, you know, what call it like it is, B-movie type action thriller. We're not really expecting much heading in. So ultimately, what did we think coming out? Josh, what were your thoughts on Beast? My thoughts on Beast is that overall, it's a decently entertaining movie. Um, I think that the one thing that did hold it back for me quite substantially is that I don't think the writing is very good. The dialogue is pretty stale. And I mean, the narrative itself is is simple and I don't, I don't have a problem with that. But I do think that its attempts to build up the characters and to give them emotional stakes just all of that fell very, very flat to me, and it ended up even impeding some of the performances, honestly. So it's like all of the the extra stuff to build up the characters in the story, I just found to be not successful at all. But when this movie is super focused on just trying to survive this lion attack, I thought it was, you know, a very broadly kind of pulpy, entertaining time, and it manages to craft some good tension in these sequences. I think in those moments, the acting is better, you know, nothing extraordinary, but it, it pulls you through well enough. And I think at the end of the day, it's not like an amazing movie by any stretch of the imagination, but as just, as I said, a kind of broadly entertaining man versus wild kind of a film, I thought that it did enough to entertain me that I thought, um, yeah, it was pretty engaging. I pretty much agree with you for the most part here. Sorry to not have a one-on-one fight with you today, Josh. Uh, but <laughs> I think in that situation, I would be the lion and you would be Idris Elba. Spoiler alert, I think you would win that fight. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because at the end of the day here, I went into this movie with the proper expectations of what to expect. I was thinking like, you know, movies like Crawl, for example, where I went into it just hoping to have a good time some thrilling action, some sequences that maybe gave me a jump scare or two. And I got to say, the thing that actually really elevates this movie for me is not even so much like the human element of the story, which we'll get into in a minute here, but it's actually the direction of this film. I knew right away from the opening scene during this uh, night poaching sequence where the lion's um, herd is being attacked I could tell right away the way that the camera was moving, the way it was edited, how patient it was uh, following and the buildup of tension. I was like, wow, I think we're in pretty good hands for this movie here. You know, just in terms of the way that these sequences were presented. I agree with you that the script is definitely the weakest element of the movie. But Kormakor, he he has a tendency in this movie to shoot many of these sequences in very long extended takes and i think it adds a lot of immersion to the more thrilling aspects of the story yeah well you know my uh, documented feelings about long takes that i don't normally like them all that much i am a little bit different in that regards to most people but would you agree though that for like a movie like this where it's such a bare bones like premise it could use something like that to kind of just like, you know, draw out a little bit of 
excitement from the proceedings? I think it works really well in some sequences. And in other times, I do think it is a little superfluous, uh, a little bit too flamboyant of of a choice. Like, I think there are some times when it really hones in on trying to create that tension, like you said in the beginning of the movie, where it is very quiet and is slowly building up that anxiety that you get throughout the scene where that lion is not making a sound and it's just like quietly stalking them. And I like it being used there. I think there are some other sequences, like when they're going through the village after it has been attacked, where... I, I don't know, just for me, I could recognize what they were doing and it just didn't impact me as much. It felt more like a, it felt more, more overtly technical in that regard to me. But I, I think that I understand why they were going for these long takes. It's just that for me, it was a little bit inconsistent in how effective it was. But at the end of the day, it still, it still does show that this movie does have some competency in the filmmaking overall. So even if that's a choice that I don't necessarily buy into 100% like other people do, I do still recognize that there is an attempt to actually craft this story through the directorial choices. And, and that I did appreciate. I'm Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indie. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. Let me ask you a question. What is it about long takes that bother you? I think for the most part, they never really serve the story all that much. I feel like they are just attempts for the director and the cinematographer to show off. And I find them to be distracting and they pull me out of the story. Very, very few long takes to me actually serve a narrative function to the storytelling. Most of the time, they just feel like we just want to show off. And that, for me, pulls me out of the film. I don't disagree. Yes, I don't think I hold it against filmmakers maybe as strongly as you do, but I don't disagree that a lot of times it is, hey, let's show off. Here, though, I actually do think it is in service of the story because of the fact that, you know, we have wide open spaces uh, where the camera is free to roam and to survey like these uh, either vast um, open areas or the jungle itself. And I really think it places you within the character's perspective of the fear and anxiety of them being hunted down by this animal. This animal, by the way, which, you know, the entire movie, I was expecting there to be some sort of grand reveal that this was like a government experiment gone wrong and this was like a genetically mutated lion or something like that. No, it's just a really pissed off lion (laughs) that is upset that its entire family was murdered by these poachers. So in a way, like the movie, I feel like is also taking this very odd uh, stance against poaching, which, once again, the writing is not the strongest element of this film here. So the message is pretty, I think, weak and very 
uh, bluntly stated without any like level of exploration or nuance. But I did kind of just appreciate that this was kind of played. I don't want to say for realism, but like more of like a mixture between heightened reality and realism. And I think the long takes just added to that. Yeah, I, I can see that, although I will say uh speaking of sort of expecting a twist i didn't expect that i thought there were going to be two lions i thought that was going to be the twist that you thought it was one and there was what is this like scream there's a reveal that there's more than one killer at the end i thought so like well when they stuck the lion with the the trank and then it just got back up like after 10 minutes i thought there was another lion (laughs) i thought that's the reason why it seemed indestructible and everywhere at once, but you know, no. See, I just thought that this was like, you know, deep blue sea or Lake Placid where the animal is just like genetically like just bigger, stronger, meaner, faster due to something. And I was like expecting there to be almost like this grand conspiracy plot that would unravel. Nope. Just a bad day for this family on safari. <laughs> yep. As you said, it's just a, a pissed off lion. And when we get those moments that really squarely focus on those interactions, to me, that is when the movie really shines. Like I, another scene I really love is when the lion is attacking them in their truck and you get that moment where Idris Elba is underneath and he's fighting it and trying to get the tranquilizer gun. And you're really in that perspective of him underneath the truck as the lion is lunging after him. Like, that is really, really well done. And even though you're always aware that it's a CGI lion, it still feels pretty visceral in the moment. And I give a lot of credit to the movie for having multiple scenes that do tap into that kind of feeling as you're watching the movie. I was actually very impressed to see that the budget on this movie was less than $40 million because although that's not the best looking CGI lion I've ever seen, they, they still stretched out that budget pretty far to make it look pretty darn good, I think, at times. Oh, yeah. Like, it's not like it's not Life of Pi, and I know that's a tiger, but, you know, still, for the money involved, I thought they did a pretty, pretty decent job of making the lion at least... You, you know what? I, I Once again, I'm not going to say believable, but I will say this. There were moments in this movie where my audience gasped and jumped. Uh, there were there were like two really good jump scares in this. And I think if you're able to create that feeling with a CGI creature, regardless if it's not the most realistic one that you've ever seen, I think you're doing something right. Yeah. And that also speaks to the craft of the filmmaking at hand, too, that it's a movie that knows how to for the most part, utilize the the tech really well. And it's not even a situation where like, oh, you barely see the lion. Now you see the lion a lot through this movie. Yeah, but it is. I think the way that they deploy the lion in these sequences and how they frame these shots and build that tension that really makes it more effective. So that even though, as I said, I don't think you're ever really thinking that you're watching something real. I think it is pretty obvious that it is a computer generated image, but the way that they craft this story, I think means that it's way more effective when it does show up. I mean, in many ways, you know, I joked earlier about scream, but this movie kind of does mimic some aspects of like the slasher genre where you could almost like substitute the lion for something like a Michael Myers or something. And the movie would still work. Oh, well, I mean, this lion is intelligent. You know, it is not a, you know, mindless wild animal that's just out killing people. They have specifically made it a point to be like, this thing is out for revenge and it knows what it's doing. And 
you know, for a movie like this, that is something that I'm willing to buy. You know, it, it's for these kinds of movies, you sort of have to go in with some kind of personification of the animal because that's just the nature of the story that they're telling. And I, I was fine with that. And I think that actually helps build the tension even more. Yeah, there were a lot of moments in this. You know, you mentioned the moment where he's like fighting it underneath the car. There's a lot of actually sequences in the car itself in that claustrophobic space that reminded me a lot of uh, something like Jurassic Park at times. Oh, yeah. 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 When it's reaching in, especially from like the top too, that that very much felt like Jurassic Park. Oh, absolutely. And I think to your point earlier, I think this is when the film is at its absolute best. And it doesn't really waste time. There's really no fat on this movie, in my opinion. Mm, There's a little. You you think so? Well, anything with the characters. (laughs) Well, okay. So let me let me let me get into that, actually, because I think like the first 25 minutes or so of this movie, once again, Bare bones minimum. They're giving us literally the essentials here. But it's just enough to establish at least proper character dynamics and um, motivation for uh, Idris Elba's character, Dr. Nate Samuels, as a widowed husband who is trying to reconnect with his two daughters. Um, His wife uh, was from South Africa. So they're going back to the place where he initially like first met his wife and trying to just find ways to reconnect. I thought that everything that they were doing in these first 25 minutes, as clunky as the dialogue might have been at times, I thought Idris Elba sold it well enough that it, like I said, it just gave me the right hook of, okay, I've got the emotional motivation, I'm invested, let me watch this father now protect his two girls from this lion. Yeah, and... As a person who watches a lot of disaster movies, I am very familiar with bare bones characterization to just get to the more exciting bits. Like I am very well aware and I can usually tolerate it. But I think for this one, I guess it's just because that writing is so blunt and rather wooden to me that it just it was sort of difficult to get through, honestly. Like and there's a moment when. Uh, um, a scene between Idris Elba and Charlton Copley where he's talking about his wife and he gives this monologue about death, like walking up to his door that just was terrible. (laughs) Oh, oh, it's not good. I want to be very clear. That scene in particular, like that's the scene I would point to where it's so funny to me because it actually did the best job of making me understand just what exactly they were going for. However, the dialogue itself and what they're actually saying is so atrocious and so terrible. However, like I got the intention and I got the feeling. And I think like Idris Elba, like I said, he 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 especially in that scene on that close up on his face during that monologue, you could see that he's really honestly trying his best to sell this poor dialogue god bless his soul you know yeah he's trying his best and i give him credit for that but there's only so much you can do and it's just to me the reason why i fix on it fixate on it so much is because not only is it just badly written but it also just doesn't make any sense for a doctor to not really understand the concept of death like i understand him not paying attention like i get that but it really like was striking more at an idea that he really thought he could like beat cancer on behalf of his wife. It just, and we don't get enough other context about that character. So it just really, 
it's poorly written and it doesn't really make sense from a character perspective too. And it just really highlighted all of the problems that I had with the writing of this film. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm not going to disagree with you on this. All I'm saying is they only had one job and that job was established that this father is not close with his daughters. And in this moment of crisis, he has to be. And that's all that it needed to do. And it did it. So because of the type of movie that it is, However, we like we got there, I, I could like, you know, kind of excuse it, I guess. I'm not saying that it was good or anything, but. Oh, oh, yeah. And yeah, I wasn't really like being a huge stickler for this sort of stuff, given the type of movie that it is. Oh, sure. And you've heard me be on the receiving end of that argument plenty of times, man. So it's not like I don't understand that you can disregard kind of poor writing just because the more exciting bits of a movie are really engaging. I just think it always is like the writing doesn't have to be great, but it needs to be at least a little passable to me. And I just found that the writing here was a little below that standard. I mean, what annoyed me more were his two daughters, uh, Meredith and Nora, who were just constantly I don't I don't know what the direction was with this or what the deal was with the screenplay, but I just feel like they were always talking. Yes. Even during the moments where tension is super high um it's life or death right now and it's like do you realize that you know the lion can hear what you're saying and like you're giving away your position stop asking questions stop commenting that your dad is hurt stop like you know expressing how you're feeling dad i'm scared like jesus they they were just constantly 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 saying stuff and it only illustrated how terrible the writing was yeah, and it also impeded their performances, too, I felt at times, when they were trying to be a little bit more emotive, but when the writing's this bad, it's hard to sell those if you're not, like, really committed to the part. And, yeah, they were just constantly talking. Like, even outside of the tension scenes, there'd be moments where it just seemed like they were talking over each other nonstop. And it's like, what are... And you're not even saying anything interesting. It's just... It almost felt like just constant filler to me. and It almost came off as improv. Very much so. And not at the best moments for it, too. It, it That did not work for me at all, really. Now, I want to give some credit, though, because they actually do have a scene in the first act where I think it's Meredith. I don't remember. who, Whichever one is the older one. Mm-hmm. And she basically calls out their father for not being there for their mother when she passed. And I actually enjoyed those moments more than when they were in moments of peril. I don't know. Again, it just felt like that confrontation was so unmotivated. It's like they went from zero to 60 real quick and it was quite disorienting. Well, there's a lot of festered anger there. I mean, yeah, but we just met these people like 10 minutes ago. <laughs> you know, it's a 90 minute move. You know what? They're they're annoyed there's no Wi-Fi, Josh. It bring it brings some anger out in you. <laughs> I I guess it just felt like we got to this moment of conflict very very quickly with a little context going in and I I mean, they did the best they could, but I just think it, it again once it once again underlines just how much I have a problem with the writing of this movie that I don't need it to be like Oscar winning material, but I need it to have like at least a little bit of a foundation for me to get somewhat invested in the characters. And I just felt like what they did here was very, very hollow. So what do you think of Elba then? 
I mean, he was good. I, I think that he has a physicality that works really well for this. And in those sequences where he is getting attacked, again, you know that it's not real, and yet you still believe it. I mean, I think especially towards the end of this movie where there's a, you know, the actual climactic fight where he does punch the lion, it gets pretty brutal and visceral at that point. And I, I actually went into this movie. I had no idea that this was rated R. I thought this was PG-13. Yeah. So I was really taken aback by how gory it was. And I kind of dug it for that reason. You know, like the lion wounds that these characters suffer. I mean, they get fucked up in this movie by this lion but okay I gotta be honest with you Mm -hmm. especially during that final climactic fight as incredibly badass as it was that dude should be dead yeah there's no way that a human being would survive that (laughs) no I it's it's very silly for sure but I think it was just so well executed that I was willing to go with it, honestly. Like, yes, should he be still living? <laughs> Probably not. One swipe of that lion's paw break, like, every bone in your body that it contacts with. Sure. But then again, this is Idris Elba, so... <laughs> <laughs> the, the black Superman from Hobbs yeah, and Shaw. <laughs> so I, I, I'm willing to, to buy it. And it's not like he is unscathed. Like I said, he gets pretty violently mauled in that moment oh yeah no no no. think like Leonardo DiCaprio in The Revenant like it it gets to that point yeah yeah and it introduces a nice kind of payoff for something that they set up earlier one of the brighter spots in the screenplay I did like that yes I knew that's where it was going and I didn't mind it because you know I saw it coming like a mile away once it was introduced earlier in the movie but I really liked the execution of it exactly so Because of that, I was willing to go with the kind of -of over-the-top nature of the tone that they were setting at that because, yeah, it's silly and not believable, but it's so well shot and executed that I was willing to accept the premise. So let me ask you a question. What did you find to be less believable, that Idris Elba could stand toe-to-toe with the lion or that the lion could stand toe-to-toe with a blazing fireball of death? I mean, that's the reason why I thought there were two lions. I thought the twist was going to be they killed that lion and they thought it was dead. But, oh, there's actually another one that survived the shooting. I love that you thought that there were two lions. And here I was thinking this has to be like a super lion. Like, there's no way that this lion can take this much punishment and keep going. Like, and for it to only be chalked up to, nope, it's just really pissed off. I, uh, at a certain point, I kind of wish that I had gotten just a nope this is a freakish mutant lion this is not like a real lion because at a certain point it, it, like if this movie went on any longer any longer at all i would have lost interest like it, like i said earlier it knew like to come in set up the action give us all of that and then it got out and it didn't like waste any time at least at least for me it didn't um but yeah, I started to get to a point where I was like, this is getting way too ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, well, if it had been a like a mutant lion, you're talking real like B-movie territory there, which I wouldn't have minded necessarily. But No, that's what I'm saying. Like, embrace it at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Save it. The poachers are like doing something where like they're, I don't know, performing experiments on the lions and then selling them on the black market or something. And then, oh, something went wrong and this lion escaped. I don't know. Come up with something. Yeah, but I still think as a relatively stripped down, just man versus nature kind of a movie where there isn't any other like science fiction element here. It is just 
a very aggressive, mean lion who just happens to have more intelligence than it should. I, I think that's fine for the, the premise of it. Um, I do think that they introduced this notion with the poachers, though, that kind of makes it seem like it's going to have a more broader social commentary that they really don't do anything with. That also felt very strange, like with the whole anti-poacher uh, with Charlton Copley's character, they, they really just drop that and then move right along. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Like it, it, I said, I said earlier, it's there, but they don't take it any further at all. Yeah, although I will say, Charlton Copley not as annoying as I usually find him in other movies, so I'll give points to that. I like him. I've always liked him. A lot of people do. I am not a big fan of. Yeah, him. I, I've always enjoyed his presence in pretty much almost everything I've seen him in, so I don't hold that belief. Um. I was going to ask you what you thought about him in this, so I'm glad to hear that, you know, he was tolerable for you. Yeah, and I thought that he had a good rapport with Elba. I thought he had, a, you know, a nice presence in here. Again, nothing extraordinary, but yeah, I am somebody who's usually not quite taken with his performances. I'm not the biggest fan, so I I found him to be a, not like a, a nice addition. I wouldn't say that I, like thought it was an incredible performance but he did not annoy me so that points for him for just accomplishing that there were also a couple of moments too where he came pretty close to death a few times early on and i thought that that would be it for his character but they continue to have him linger on in the movie for a bit longer and yeah i i, I really started to rally to his side and i was rooting for him to actually survive this uh so you know job well done i guess in that regard um you know, overall, I, I can't tell you much about the music by Stephen Price. I really don't remember anything about that. Yeah, I remember when his name showed up, it's like, oh, Stephen Price. I, I'm glad that he's still working. And then, yeah, I can't I can't really remember the music like it works for the movie. I don't remember it being actively bad and it seemed like it did its job. But Outside of the very opening, like during the credits, I don't really remember much from the score. I got to ask you, Josh, when you say I'm glad he's still working, what is like the last even price score that you remember in a movie before this? Oh, God. I Honestly, I think it was the Aeronauts, <laughs> which has a really good score. Yes, but I agree. A very forgettable movie. Yeah, no, I, I, I liked his work in that, too. Uh, but yeah, I guess for final thoughts here for Beast... Hey there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are we are always unpacking that very question on sleepover cinema check out sleepover cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com see you soon i liked it more than i was thinking i would i think that i can chalk that up though to very low expectations i went in thinking that this was going to be absolutely terrible and one of the worst movies i would see this year so it was surprising to me that, you know, early on in the movie, they set up this, you know, clunky but reasonable emotional motivation and character arc for 
Idris Elba's character that I fully understood. I knew what they were going for. I understood the intent. It was there, and it was just enough to get me by with everything else that transpired. In terms of the action, the thrills, they're there. It's a good time. I wouldn't say you have to rush out to the theater to see it. I think it's a perfect movie to watch at home via streaming and one that you can just kind of throw on without having to, you know, invest much into it intellectually, emotionally. I mean, if you go in with the proper expectations, it is a fun time. I wouldn't say that it's like, you know, one of the most fun times I've seen in a movie this year, because once again, the dialogue is pretty rough at I don't, I don't even want to say at times, like pretty much throughout the entire movie. There, there is not like a single scene in this film that I could say is redeemable from a writing standpoint. Uh, but if you just want to watch Idris Elba go toe to toe with a lion one on one and, you know, in the time before that final confrontation, try to uh, evade it, shoot it, even though he's a doctor and has never held a gun before. I mean, there's a lot of things in this that I found to be at least a relatable from a standpoint of, OK, I'm not a doctor, but like I do understand like this mentality of being like a normal average everyman caught up in a very incredible circumstance and I do think that the long takes the direction of the action sequences really place you into the action in a you are there sort of way that helps just with the immersion of it all so yeah overall I'm pretty pretty pleased I mean not I'm not enthusiastic but better than I was expecting Josh um there are two quick things that I would want to mention at the end here one I actually think my favorite moment in the whole movie was during the line attack at that truck. And then the daughter takes the dart, the tranquilizer dart, and then just sticks it in the lion herself. <laughs> you know, no, not only that, but sticks it in the lion's ass. <laughs> yes. I really liked that moment. And the audience I saw it with too. I think that was honestly the biggest reaction that they got. I thought that was rather like, dare I say, sort of clever and funny and, and got the job done. And, very, very much enjoyed it. It was a very small moment, but very effective at the same time. This movie definitely worked magic over my audience. They were really into it. I mean, like, practically cheering by the end. Oh, yeah. Like, it's a very, like, kind of engaging, crowd-pleasing kind of a movie, for sure. When it is focused on those moments, I would say. Um, and then the other thing I just want to mention is, uh, for me, personally, the biggest uh, jump scare had to have been the title card that said produced by Will Packer. <laughs> <laughs> by far the scariest thing about the movie. <laughs> I'm just imagining you in the movie theory being like, oh, <laughs> like your eyes just widen, you jump. Like PTSD seeing that name. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, overall, the movie is fine. Like, it's not the greatest one ever out there. In fact, I would even say there's probably other better like man versus nature movies, but when it is very focused on its premise, I think that's when it really shines. Uh, everything else. It's not very good. We didn't also talk about these like weird dream sequences that are in the movie too, that feel very out of place. I don't know why they're here. I don't know either. I thought that there was, once again, I chalked that up to the writing of them. Like obviously they're written that way in the screenplay. And I agree. I don't think they needed to be there at all. Yeah. So it's like stuff like that that they wanted to try to build out the characters. I just found 
fell completely flat. They did not work for me at all. But when it is very focused on the intimacy and the claustrophobia of these encounters with the lion, it was very fun. It was very entertaining. So and I think that that just about pushed it over the edge for me. Not in a great deal. It's still very flawed. But for a 90-minute movie that, as you said, gets in and gets out and is mostly focused on these sequences of tension, it was pretty well done in that regard. You know, there's one other thing I forgot to mention, and I wanted to ask if it came across this way to you, too. I've heard Idris Elba do an American accent in plenty of projects at this point. Why did it feel like he was struggling with it in this movie? Um, Because I feel like he normally struggles with an American accent. Like, at, at least it wasn't Southern. That, I'm at least glad it wasn't that, because I will never forgive his Southern accent in Prometheus, which is like one of the worst things I've ever heard. So I mean, I just don't understand why they didn't let him use his British accent. Is, it, I, is the I thing that really know. bothers me the most? I don't know either. I find that most of the time when they have Idris Elba not play British. It's like there's, there's no reason why this character shouldn't just be British. I, I don't know. Um, maybe he wanted a challenge for himself. I feel like that character could have just been British and that was fine. Um, maybe, I don't know, maybe it was a consideration for the actresses that they got for his daughters. Maybe. Yeah, that that makes sense, I suppose. But still, it, I, there were times where I was like, wow, like either he's really struggling with the dialogue or there's something else going on here. I mean, it could be both. But <laughs> but then again, you know, it's not like he talks a lot through this movie. Like, And when he does, it's not what you're paying attention to. You're just sort of tolerating it until the line shows up. Okay, now what I need somebody to do is I need somebody to take the third act of this movie and I need them to splice in images from the 2019 Lion King. <laughs> I need to see Simba come in and rescue the day at the end of this movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. In terms of a grade out of 10 for this one, I enjoyed myself just enough that it's a very weak recommendation for me, uh, but I, I would go with a six out of 10. I think it, I'm there because I had the proper expectation for it uh, versus, you know, if I were to be a little bit more, you know, cruel, it would be like a four or a five. But I'll, I'll go with a six because overall it gave me exactly what I wanted for what I expected. Josh? I am going to be right there with you. It's a 6 out of 10 for me. Also sort of a weak 6 out of 10. But those moments where it does really focus in on the event that you're coming to see, which are these fights with the lion, like, I had a very good time with it. And if the writing had been a little bit better, I would have had, I would be more on the side of recommending it more um, aggressively. But as is, like, it, it's mostly just passable, but in those moments where it shines, I did find myself really becoming engaged with it. And no Oscar potential, even though, you know, I was thinking, man, they really love CGI animals. Maybe this is a shortlist? Maybe. I mean, there's always usually at least one movie that is very much the CGI animal, but I, I don't think it's going to be this. Like, the effects are still fine, but I don't think there's, like, Oscar nomination worthy. I would be pretty surprised if this made the short list yeah yeah i'm right there with you like that was the only reason why i was even considering it was well they have nominated cgi animals in the past for movies that get roughly around the same type of reception as this so but i i definitely agree i don't see this getting even that far so i'm going to chalk it up to no oscar potential on that one i think i would agree all right and that's it 
that's it for our review of Beast Hero on the Next Best Picture podcast. Josh Parham, tell everyone that's listening right now where they can find you on the internet. You can find me on Twitter at JR Parham. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death of a Film Star. Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs.